welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Catherine, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, just like everybody else, I've taken it one day at a time. I know. <laughs> yeah, well, I've spent the day talking about happiness, so I guess I'm a little bit removed right now from the news. Yeah, which is, it sounds like that'd be the best way to do that. So, so let's get into that briefly. But beforehand, for the my listeners who are not familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Hmm, very interesting. Well, I, I guess I'm a hope activist uh, and a happiness um, a happiness advocate, teacher. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I founded a nonprofit called iFred, and I am the chief mood officer of a company. So <laughs> the mood factory. Yes, that's uh, that's I love that title, the chief mood officer. That's awesome. So let's so let's get into it a little bit on on where your kind of journey led to this. So in the beginning, you studied something a little bit different. Well, I guess kind of the same. Um, psychology, biology. What made you want to get into psychology, you know, biology, international studies originally? Yeah, well, growing up, so I grew up in a pretty, um, you know, my my brothers and my father were in finance. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of that animal activist, save the planet, save the animals kind of person. And um, and so really looking at and, and, and loved the psychology of people. So just how people work. So I kind of went down that road to begin, like on my initial journey, just kind of learning about that. Um, yeah, to start. Okay. And then it looks like, you know, after you graduated, you had, you know, a more traditional career um, that primarily went in kind of the, I guess, the marketing kind of area. What what made you interested in in kind of going from, you know, 3M to American Express to Compass Marketing? Yeah, well, um, you know, my, my initial work was really around psychology and marketing, but I knew okay. that if I wanted to do something really powerful, I needed to also have a business acumen around it. So I went on to get an MBA so that I could not just advocate for humanity, but I could kind of create a business case for doing so. I knew that was really an important part of my mission and the way to convince others to do the same was to take both the business and kind of a social entrepreneurism spin. Mm-hmm. So I started because I knew I needed, you know, experience in corporate America. And, you know, I went to, did, I did some research for 3M when I moved to Minneapolis. And then I went to grad school at night and worked for American Express, which they were IDS at the time. Um, and I kind of thought it was a joke when I went in to talk to them because um, I, I really didn't know anything about financial services and who IDS was, but they wanted an intern. So I went in and did an interview and um, they loved me because I had nothing to do with finance. 
so I could bring a really unique perspective to the company. So mm -hmm. I spent about five years there and launching products for them, doing communications, um, helping them rebrand from IDS to American Express. Mutual fund work, we had about 8,000 advisors, so I launched some products, um, financial planning and services products with them. So it was really fun and it was really great experience for me from a marketing and branding and kind of corporate standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so, then, yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, no, 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 please continue. Yeah, so then I went into advertising for a few years and then I went into sales and marketing and I helped Fortune 100 companies like Johnson & Johnson and Unilever get their products into what we say as alternate channels, which was at the time kind of anything other than mass and grocery. Mm -hmm. So help them do marketing campaigns and golf courses and, um, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, linens and things. Even at that point, Home Depot was kind of considered an ultimate alternate channel. We would get Tylenol and Motrin at the front counter of, you know, a linens and things because that's, you know, women have headaches when they shop. So it was really fun. I got a lot of exposure and experience doing that. Yeah, that's wonderful. So when was it that you decided that you wanted to leave the corporate world and get into what you're doing now, which is uh, found, founder of, the, of uh, Mood Factory and iFred? Yeah, so I guess... You know, it's funny, I wrote it in a mission statement in business school, but I didn't remember doing it until probably 10 years after I started the company. But um, I knew that I wanted to create my own product line and try to get a product line to market. And this was about 15 years ago. I started both the company and the nonprofit in 2004. And so I wanted to create a brand mm -hmm. and wanted to do something that has a, that has a positive impact on mood states and started looking at colors and how colors affect your moods and home depot had an article about you know paint your room a specific color um, to create this kind of a mood and and so i felt like it was becoming more mainstream and at the time there were just white light bulbs on the market this was back before leds before compact fluorescence and um so i thought well why not bring colors to lighting and created so i created a brand called mood lights mm -hmm. And was getting and, and wanted to take that to market and wanted to also include um, cause marketing. So cause marketing is a great way to raise money and and stigma for disease states. And I wanted to do it specific to mental health because of my own kind of lived experience, the loss of my father. Um, and so I started researching mental health nonprofits and found a lot of them were really um, just focused on the negative aspects of depression and anxiety and the symptoms as opposed to the fact that they're both very treatable. So even though I did not have money to do so, I thought, all right, I'm gonna just create my own brand for mental health, a positive one, um, and started the nonprofit from there. Oh, that's wonderful. So, actually, I'm trying to think of a few different ways I wanna go with this one, but, um, so let's, I guess, let's start with kind of how your nonprofit has evolved since then. So that was 2004 when you first started it. How has the, the nonprofit landscape changed from when you first started it to what's happening right now and what you're focused on right now? Yeah, it's a great question. So I started, I mean, my initial focus was just, I did a presentation about how to rebrand a disease state. Okay. Uh, looked at how other disease states had done it, like breast cancer. I mean, breast cancer was once highly stigmatized. 
um, heart disease, AIDS, and use those as examples. And went around really just presenting to other nonprofits and the media, talking to them about the importance of speaking of the biology of the brain, looking at the science, um, using universal symbolism, getting celebrities talking about their own mental health, and um, yeah, focusing on the fact that it's treatable and you know, not not that. I mean, we pretty much know a lot of the symptoms around depression, but did you know that it's treatable? And so kind of changing the messaging. So that's where I initially started with the nonprofit. And then we got, I got the product line into Lowe's Home Improvement. And so we did, and that's when I got some, you know, success around the brand. And, and we raised about a million dollars for cause marketing, both for the work with my nonprofit and then other charities we were working with around breast cancer and autism and heart disease. So I finally got some funding to actually do something and was super excited. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to look at um, what people weren't funding. And, and I was really curious clearly about suicide and what causes suicide. And, you know, if we want to solve the suicide epidemic, we've got to look at getting to the root cause of it and realized that hopelessness was the only predictor of suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's a primary symptom of depression and it's a key symptom of anxiety. So looked at, got together this great advisory board. I mean, the great thing about American Express is they taught me project management, how to get large teams together and doing really great stuff. So I got a really great team together an advisory board of global experts around hope and curriculum and we created um, a curriculum to actually teach hope as a skill. So we looked at what makes up hope, the science around hope, and then kind of saw we reverse engineered it as the kind of best way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we created this curriculum for hope and we started teaching young kids. Uh, we made it free, uh, available online, and we wrote the teacher lessons so that anyone can really use it anywhere. Um, tried to c- create it in a way so that it can be used globally. So, you know, the cultural issue isn't, isn't a big challenge, which we've successfully been able to do. And yeah, we've been teaching and people around the world are teaching it. And we just published our first paper on it um, with many more to come. And we are seeing that hope is in fact teachable and that as you increase levels of hope, you decrease anxiety and depressive symptoms, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm very excited. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So congratulations. And uh, yeah, Thank I think that's, you. that's absolutely uh, remarkable. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's especially prevalent right now. And, you know, and, and when we're talking right now in 2020, the idea of, of hopelessness is, is something that I see more and more popping up um, all across, not only just news feeds, but obviously, you know, on my social media channels because of the uncertainty that's happening in many different sectors from entertainment to the restaurant hospitality industry of people now being forced to remain in their homes isolate themselves from others and kind of pull away in your work. How are you looking and actually, well, how are you teaching hope um, to people and, and what are some ways that the listeners can think about hope and apply it in some of their current situations right now? Yeah, that's uh 
such an important question. Um, and I'll step back with just first helping. So hope is often a misunderstood and misused word. Um, so I think the first thing that's really important is that I define how we're using hope um, and how we define it and how the researchers have defined it. But it is hope is really a vision where you kind of connect uh, positive feelings with inspired action. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have hope about something in the future, you have to both feel good about it and, and yourself, and then you have to take steps to get there. You know, and it has to be realistic hope. So that's kind of how we define hope. Um, and then there's a lot of things that kind of go into then how do we create hope? So, um, yeah, I mean, hope is a, it's a protective factor for anxiety and depression and it is teachable. And so if we increase our levels of hope right now, we can decrease the potential of future anxiety may, or major depressive episodes from all of the change that's going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. um, but if we want to, you know, some strategies, if we want to have hope about something, it's, one, we have to figure out how we can feel good. And, you know, a lot of times people run from their fears or feelings because they want to feel happy or they want to feel good. And yet the reality is we have to address and acknowledge how we're feeling, whether that's good or bad. Um, so I think that's like honoring how we're feeling is one of the, a very important thing for us all to do right now in the fear and the unknown um, and to not kind of run for that, mm -hmm. run from that. But then, to kind of address that and to then get us get ourselves into a more hopeful and happier place which is i mean there are a lot of things you can do gratitude kindness um you know meditation to calm down worry um so there are a lot of kind of little action steps you can do but i think um one of the biggest things is not to act from a stressed out panicked state and to do whatever we can to take care of our our state first to get us down so that we're not in a you know the reptilian part of our brain acting kind of irrationally but to calm ourselves down and then act from a more inspired place mm -hmm. so i mean how hopeful we we are is really dependent on how we can kind of get to our goals how easily we're able to pivot if our goals have to change or how easily we're able to kind of come up with new solutions as we get to those goals. Um, and then really staying grounded and present along the way. Um, so, and then also to reach out to our networks for hope if we can't find hope ourselves. So, you know, there are a lot of resources if people are feeling extremely hopeless, which is suicidal. Um, there are a lot of resources text chat lines to connect with or suicide hotlines. Um, but to really stay connected now um, in when we are being isolated, you know, due to this, due to what's going on in the environment. Um, I was interviewing uh, Shakar Saxena from the World Health Organization earlier today and yesterday, and he talked about we, not, we need to not change the language around social isolation and it's more physical isolation because you know, we need to physically distance our, ourselves, but we don't want to socially distance ourselves and isolate. So doing things like connecting online or 
via phone or Skype or FaceTiming with friends and family is really so important right now. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned something I think was that's very important in that with all the things that are happening right now that we calm ourselves down and not react. How, how do you do that personally? When, when times come and, and you're feeling a little more anxious, what do you do to, to kind of relax and calm yourself down? And how would you recommend that people similarly do that? Yeah, right. I mean, so we are in a very high state of alert right now. And I, you know, definitely realized it today, getting away from the news and just how helpful, you know, not being attached to the news is and not feeding. <laughs> it's like the entire world is ruminating right now. Like this is the, you know, we are just going over and over. And um, so really getting distance from that self and being informed and staying informed is important. And yet, you know, how much, how often do I really need to know how many cases there are and where they are and what's getting closed. And it's just, it can become very overwhelming very quickly. So, you know, that's one thing, but for sure in times of high um, kind of stress, my exercise, my nutrition, my meditation, my connecting to friends and family, um, even if I live alone with my dog, uh, my getting out in nature, like these are all things that are must do's. They're not nice to do's, they're must do's. Um, you know, I'm myself susceptible to a, heading into a major depressive episode from all of the changes that are happening, you know, around the world. And, and so I need to be really careful that I'm taking care of my mental health first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I work a lot at my computer and I could sit here and work for 12 hours if I'm not careful, just because I get so focused on my task and what I'm doing. And it's, you know, getting up every hour, stretching, walking around, um, yeah, and making sure I'm taking care of myself first and foremost and experiencing my emotions as they come up and not running from them. So those are all really critical. Not eating, not snacking all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, see, that, that's a hard one for me these days. Although I have... I I was fortunate enough to get to, get to the grocery store um, earlier in the week and, and got a lot of healthier things. So I'm snacking on vegetables, but yeah, I've noticed a lot in the last, especially the last couple of days. Yeah. My, my like craving for like something crunchy. So a lot of carrots has, <laughs> yeah. has increased more so than it usually has. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you for sure. And it's good, right? It's carrots, celery. If you notice that, like find things that you can, that are not horrible for you. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. That loud, satisfying crunch. It's still like it does something. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So in in your own life, do you do you journal? How do you check in with yourself to make sure that you're you haven't gone down a path that you know is self destructive? Yeah, it's very interesting. No, I mean I do so much of it through my work. I mean, it's really a constant, um, that's what I'm working on all day is really hope and happiness. Mm -hmm. um, and I have, I've been sober 15 years. So getting free of a lot of my addictions has really helped kind of keep me grounded and present. And I'm, I mean, I can, I'm pretty self-aware now of my body and when I feel off. So, which is, you know, I used to just run, like trying to make it feel better. And now I allow myself like 
if, if I feel sad, I allow myself to cry. I just really let things kind of flow through me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my writing is a lot of kind of my journaling. So I just wrote a book on hope. And I, I mean, that was an intense experience looking back at my life and kind of what, how hope was kind of created through my own personal experience, lived experience. And, um, you know, that was a very therapeutic and, and healing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so let's talk about your book then. Um, it's called the, the Biggest Little Book About Hope, and you've recently released it. Yes, very yes. exciting. Yes, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about that previously the last couple of weeks. Yes, uh, and you've been so helpful. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Save me. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that I, I could be helpful. It, it also helped that I had also just kind of released a book a few weeks ahead and, and stumbled through a lot of things. So what, so beyond wanting to tell your story, and that may be the reason why you released this book, but why, why this book? Why now in this, in your journey? Yeah. So interestingly, I, my goal wasn't really to tell my story. My goal was to, um, my goal was to inform people and really about hope and what I uniquely know about hope um, so that it inspired them to act and take action as it relates to hope. Um, as I said, my journey around hopelessness started, you know, focused on suicide and depression. And as I got deep into the research around hopelessness, I have come to find out it is the only predictor of weapon carrying at school. Um, so oh. when we look at violence, in youth and and um, in the school, you know the the underlying cause. While restricting access to means is an effective way to reduce reduce these, mm-hmm. I feel like unless we address the cause, we're not going to solve the problem. And I can imagine the the extreme sense of hopelessness about, that you know these people that do these mass shootings or that that re, that act this way that they must be feeling and. You know, I said in the book, while we don't want to have empathy for a shooter, we, I think it's necessary if we want to solve the problem. So, you know, you look at addiction and hopelessness is very high in addiction. It's high in inner city youth. It's um, 25% of youth feel hopeless on a regular basis. That, that to me is just um, really shocking and alarming. And I feel like people need to act around that. I, in the LGBTQ community, that's 65%. Mm-hmm. on a regular basis feel hopeless and so you know I started learning in self-directed violence and violence partner violence I mean all kinds of things are related to hopelessness and so as I started um, learning about it there's a lot I want to do around the around the work for hope and a lot we can do for very little cost um, and I thought it was super important that I shared what I knew. I mean, there's all kinds of work I want to do in the curriculum, but I felt like if I could share my story in a way that um, gave the evidence around it, so I get a lot into the research around hope itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my story that I think is kind of a divine story around how I came to hope and how I came to understand it and what's happened in my life that's given me a lot of um, access and, and information that others maybe don't have and use it to teach everything I know about hope right now so that regardless of 
if I get funding to do more curriculum or improve it or create a hopeful mindsets platform, um, at least I get the knowledge out there in a way that people, hopefully it reaches the people that need it so that they have the same resources I do as it relates to hope. So that was kind of my, that's my goal. That was my goal for doing it. Um, the story was just a way to kind of give some meaning to how I came to it, really. Okay. So also right now, you're, you're working on um, another project that's launching this week, which is the, uh, around March 20th, which is the International Day of Happiness. So tell me more about the, the happiness course that you are, are launching or currently launched right now. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, as I mentioned, my company, The Mood Factory, so I started the company because I wanted to figure out how we become, how we can be, well, how I can become <laughs> happier. So, you know, not, to, I mean, I used to wear like all black colors were not a part of my life. And it's so like, funny. Did you, yeah. you, you go like hardcore goth or was it just like dress all in black, like architects? Yeah, it was just more black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, and so I started learning and like, how can I not just be like, stay alive, right? Which to me is hope. Like, how can I not just be here? But how can I really enjoy being here and engage in life? And, and, you know, we're out of the present moment 50% of the time. And if we can just engage our senses, we can be, we can be here now. And so, um, yeah, Dr. Lombardo and I, she is, She's Shaq O'Neal's head coach for happiness. <laughs> and um, she's just been really great. She's been part of my nonprofit and Hopeful Minds work. And we put together through my company, a 21 day to happiness course, because happiness is really a, it's a skill and you need to practice it. And, you know, happiness is, is an important part of hope and hope is an important part of happiness. But um, so we created a course where it's 21 days, where each day you just get emailed a tidbit, one thing you can do that day, um, a skill you can practice, and then I'll do a Facebook Live every day um, where we can just talk about like how the practice is going and if you're doing it. Um, but really, hope is an intention, or happiness is an intentional act, and you have to constantly be doing it. And I forget to do it, so especially during times of stress. I mean. I forget to use my skills and um, it's times like these where we need to use them really more than ever. So yeah, so that's where the court, what, what the course is about. We have a scent line based on how smells affect your moods um, that I developed with some scientists. That's great. And um, you know, sense using our sense of smell is a great way to get present. It takes us out of our mind and into the moment you know, right where we are. And, you know, the research says, which I find fascinating that, um, you know, we're happier in the present moment than we are in our mind, whether or not we're thinking of something positive or negative. So even if we're remembering like our happiest wedding day, we're still happier in this present moment. And so that Harvard did a really unique study around that. And I found that, you know, really fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. Are there in your research are there particular scents that more people you know i guess pull people more into the present and make them positive versus other scents yeah so it's i mean the the research so it's all scents kind of bring you into the moment because you're engaging with your senses so mm -hmm. like if you touch something smell something i mean um you know taste something like that means you're here 
in the moment. So, but with how I like to talk about it with scents, there are different scents do different things. So like citruses are more uplifting, um, and kind of invigorating. So that's in our happiness scent. Whereas lavender is more of a calming and, and sleep. So that's in our tranquility scent. And, you know, if we wanna create our optimal mood state, we should really be creating things that engage all of our senses for that mood state. So if you're not sleeping well, you wanna look at your five senses, your environment that you've created and make sure that those are optimal for sleep. So the scent, you know, you wanna make sure that lighting is out of your room so that you have a dark room. You wanna make sure that what's touching you feels good to you, you know, that that's restful. Um, you know, not so much taste, but I'm sure if you had a hot pepper before bed, you would have problems <laughs> sleeping, you know? I yeah. mean, so you want to kind of look at all of that, right? And that's, so that's, um, yes, we have a white paper on scents and moods on our site, but um, lemon and citruses are kind of uplifting and mints are energizing, so. Wonderful. So I'd like to hear more about how you think and approach fear and ultimately then how you move past it. Um, you know, obviously in, in the research that you're, that you do, as well as just your own personal life on, on times when, when you're suddenly fearing fearful, how is it that you move past that? Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, so I, first of all, I feel it, like I've stopped running from it. So I think that has been my, I mean, I used to run from it. I used to think that I could not handle the pain. I mean, losing my dad was so traumatic and I thought that the pain of feeling the pain would literally kill me. Um, but there are so many things that I am, you know, that I feel fear around, whether it's finances, whether it's, you know, the future, whether it's where I'm going to live, what, you know, and I think, um, first of all, breathing deep, I mean, feeling the fear and then deep breathing, like to calm down the nervous system. You know, if we are, if we activate our nervous system, um, we just, we activate the fear response, which just makes the fear worse. I used to get literally like terrified of public speaking. I mean, I don't, you know, definitely there was trauma around that, but I, anytime I had to speak in a group or in front of people, I would, my fear response would get activated. My heart rate would increase. I would turn red. I couldn't breathe. And it was like a nightmare. <laughs> and so if you'd ever told me that I would have been speaking, you know, I talked, spoke at the UN about my dad and emotional and, and I've done tons of speaking all, all over the world on our work. And, um, Breathing through the fear is really amazing. I mean, um, I as soon as I noticed that I, what would happen is I'd stop breathing. You know, my heart rate variability would get lower, which is not a good thing. And I would activate the fear response and then it would just get worse. So just breathing deep belly breathing to calm down the nervous system and get myself into a more rational place because usually when we're in a rational, when our mindset is in a rational place and we're in the more evolved part of the brain, we can come up with solutions. And if we can't, you know, I meditate on it or I call people I know. Um, and if I need to, I get therapy. And if I need to, I get medication and, and combine that. But I'm, you know, it's a lot of self work. Um, and, 
And I find that it's a lot of our nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people stop breathing when they get scared and then they make it worse. Um, and now science is showing that. Mm-hmm. Have you, so, so because you brought up breathing, have you looked into Wim Hof and kind of the work that he's been doing around breath? Yeah, I have. So I am not a cold water chick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that people do that, and I think it's amazing, and it is, I mean, it is mind over matter, and I think it's a great example of how we have much more control than we give ourselves credit for, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, I've, I've, I participated in one of those things, um, and I just, I have not taken up the cold water thing. Mm, okay. But, yeah, I like my hot baths. <laughs> I just started, coincidentally, I just, I started his course last week. So it's, I, I love the breathing part of it. Um, yeah. And the, you know, the cold water, it's starting to, you know, when you talk about being in the moment, I am definitely in the moment, <laughs> the moment the cold water hits. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it does exactly that. It totally takes you in the here and now. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I love that people are experiencing that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. It's a great, yeah. That's yeah. so funny that you're doing it. Good for you. <laughs> you can tell me. You can keep me posted. I will. I will. I will keep you posted through this, and and especially my journey through the cold water. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but it's like it's like getting your body when your body is an extreme, like an extreme state. It's like mm-hmm. keeping control of your body. I mean, I think it's and it is amazing what you can do with breathing. Mm-hmm. I mean, breathing has saved me from presentations. Like now I can go. I, I just as soon as I feel it, just deep breathing. And I'm like, who am I doing this for? It's not me. It's for all of the people around the world that are suffering, all the kids, all you know, and I share the message for them. So, yeah, it's been quite a. But mm-hmm. I love that he's doing that. Yeah. So in, in the work that you're doing, what are some of your favorite resources to look at beyond the ones that, that you are creating and, and your own organization for people to look at about, you know, mindfulness and and um, health in, in, you know, both physical and mental? Yeah, that's great. Well, Psych Central is... Um, an amazing resource that was kind of started before anyone was doing this work, but um, from experts from all over the world on just like the psychology and, and mindset and mental health and depression and just all kinds of different topics. It's free. I love it. Psychcentral.com. Um, I like Thrive Global a lot for stories. Um, let's see. You know, I like getting my research from places like the World Health Organization and or the UN. Um, I don't know. I mean, I read so many different. I mean, I like I get my information from so many different places and so many books. And you know, I've been on a very self exploration journey myself. Um, and I've used all of that to kind of inspire and. Um, yeah, incitement youth. I mean, youth in general. Like, I am so inspired by the youth, and I helped found a. Um, it's called Why Mental Health. It's the Youth Mental Health Coalition, and mm-hmm. it's for from like organizations all over the world doing work with youth. Mm-hmm. And I think they have so much to teach us and 
share with us. So yeah, so many different sources. I love Michael Singer, um, who wrote a book, The Surrender Experiment, and um, really for the first time convinced me that, you know, you don't have to be actively um, running after kind of business that you can kind of be still and, and allow your thoughts and your feelings and your inspired actions to bring the right things to you. So, was, you know, he lived in the middle of nowhere, Florida, mm -hmm. um, and created a very successful company that was bought by WebMD. And I just, from a business standpoint, found that so inspiring. Yeah. So with, with everything that you've done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? <laughs> oh no, the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That is such a good, I can't think of like a specific, I, you know, one thing that, um, so my dad was a retail banker. He worked for the First National Bank of Chicago, and he had a friend by the name of Paul Carter, who then became like a father to me. And um, I remember his story. His name was Paul Carter, and he was, you know, advisor to my work for my nonprofit, and just really has been a fantastic. And he was—he's now since passed, but. You know, he told me a story about how he was having an argument with a supplier. He was having a discussion with a supplier. He became the CFO of Walmart. And, um, you know, the supplier, something happened and it, the supplier changed something and it was going to cost him millions of dollars in business or something. And so he was just having this discussion and he said, uh, he got on top of his desk and he's like, you know, I just have to tell you, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated right now that I'm standing on top of my desk. You know, and he wasn't yelling at the supplier. He wasn't, you know, using kind of control to change anything. He was expressing how he felt and his way of dealing with it. It was like by standing on top of the desk. And I just think that is like, he was such an honorable, um, ethical human being and so kind and really steadfast in faith and such a great example for me. And, you know, I... I look at that and I think, you know, it's, you can feel anger and you can embrace the anger. You don't have to like lash out about the anger or be, you know, aggressive or abusive, but you can experience it and you can share that you feel angry and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that was just, I, you know, that story kind of always really stuck with me. Um, and one other thing that I just recently found is a quote from Sam Walton. So I knew Sam when I was very little and I was, you know, I'm trying to get Walmart into my happiness movement. And um, Sam had a quote that says, lose your smile, lose your customer. Hmm. And I just think that's so such a powerful, um, you know, like you've got to be kind to people and connect with people. And it's not important just in life, but in business, you know, it matters. It, it really matters. So um, that really stuck home with me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today um, and, and go through all of this. I, I know you're incredibly busy and this it means a lot. If the listeners would like to read more of your work, um, potentially join your happiness course, or just follow everything that you're doing, where is the best place they can go for each of those? Yeah, so 
I mean, I have my own website, which I listed some of the projects, but my name is hard to spell. So, <laughs> so ifred.org is um, probably the easiest, ifred.org. That is the nonprofit and you can find links to Hopeful Minds, which is where we have the curriculum. Um, and then the Mood Factory is the company. The Mood Factory is the company and it has the course and also list my book there. And yeah, so, but Catherine Getsky is the, the get the ski, <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's spelled a little differently, but that's how you can remember it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. So I will I will put all those uh, links in the show notes, in, including the link to your your <laughs> personal website at Catherine Getsky, um, so that people can click right through and and join this and and look for the resources that you have available if they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now, uh, as many of us are. So again, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you liked this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to advanceyourart.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again and have a great day.